The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Well, uh, as Jason said, my name is Scott, and it's good to be with you here tonight, worshiping at Artisan Church. And uh, if he seemed a little bit discombobulated, and if I do, it's because things are a little different tonight. Uh, And if you're here for the first time, or if you visit lots of churches, it may not seem very different to you, but uh, maybe we'll talk about some ways that things are sufficiently different enough around here uh, that when we do things sort of normal, it seems different to us, but... (laughs) We are in the second week now of our college outreach series, which is called Dead by Christmas, uh, because really, what more welcoming thing could you talk about than uh, the loss of life around a major Christian holiday? Um, And so, college students, welcome, and you'll be dead by Christmas. Uh, (laughs) And last week, Jason kicked our series off with the freshman year message called Lose Your Family, which is, of course sort of what happens when you go away to college as a freshman. And in just a minute, I will tell you what my topic is, if you don't already know. But first, I wanted to show you uh, a photograph. I wanted to share a picture with you. And uh, it's not a picture of my trips to Ireland, though I have 1,000 pictures that I'd love to show you of that as well. Um, But no, it's this picture of our spider. And this was our spider last summer. It was kind of, we adopted her. We called her Charlotte. And uh, this is taken at the end of the summer, and she was a lean, mean, bug-killing machine uh, at this point in time. As you can see, she has snared and is currently sucking the blood of a moth about three times her size. And uh, off to the right, you can see the gaping hole in her web where she ripped it out and, and wrapped it up. Um, and this spider appeared, if you've been to my house, this is our, our side porch, and she appeared... Uh, at the beginning of the summer last year as this little tiny white spider. And uh, she was in kind of a place that uh, it wasn't enough in my way that I wanted to sweep it out of there. And I thought Abel, my son, uh, who was uh, three and and turned four last summer, um, he's five now, uh, I thought he might think it was cool to see the spider, you know, eating bugs and things. So we left it up there. And after about two weeks um, of web spinning and bug killing and fun for all of us, uh, she crawled up into the little niche there, the very top left of the picture, curled up and died. Or so we thought. She was in that little niche for two or three days, all hunkered down, didn't move, kind of got all dried up and crusty, and I was sure she was dead. And I said to myself uh, one night before I went to bed, uh, I guess I'll just sweep her away tomorrow and get rid of the web so that we can now put our garbage bags down in the garbage can, which is just on the other side of the porch there again. Uh, And so I woke up the next morning, opened the door, came out, looked to the left, and there was the most picturesque, magnificent, glistening with dew, brand new, immaculate spider web bigger than one she'd ever spun before, and right in the center of it was Charlotte, 
I wouldn't have known it was her if I hadn't, you know, kind of watched what happened here because she looked totally different, probably one and a half, two times larger, different colorations, seemed like the legs had a couple of extra joints. Uh, She was like, before she was sort of like semi-cute, but like this is the kind, now she looks like the sort of spider you would definitely not want on your hand, right? And I'm sorry if you hate spiders, it's going to be a rough night for you because we're going to talk about spiders, but... And what had happened, if you know anything about spider biology, is she had molted. Um, they have, spiders have an exoskeleton, meaning their skeleton's on the outside, not the inside. And um, uh, The males of this species molt, species molt once uh, before they die, and uh, the females molt several times throughout a season. And that's how we know it's a she, because this happened three times throughout the summer. Each time she got bigger. And so by the end of it, this was one badass spider. Like, you would not want anything to do with her. Um, and then she actually did crawl up there and, and did die eventually, but um, happens to the best of us. But. And so you, you might be sort of guessing where I'm going with this, because to this week's topic is sophomore year, lose your faith. And this title comes from some research done by the Center for Youth and Family Ministry, at Fuller Seminary, so it's a, uh, this big nationwide think tank for um, youth workers in the church. Uh, and their research indicates, it's, it's a little bit disturbing for people who work with teenagers, their research indicates that uh, of all the students who are well involved with church youth group programs as high school students, uh, 50% of them are no longer serving God in any meaningful capacity 18 months after their high school graduation. So when we say sophomore year, dead by Christmas, your faith, we mean it. There's an even odds chance if you are a freshman in college now, having just graduated from high school a little while ago, that your faith will have disappeared by Christmas of next year. sort of chilling, isn't it? But here's the thing. See, depending on what your faith looks like, what your high school faith looked like, and I'll just say this now, and and you can kind of assume it throughout our message tonight, we're not just talking to college students here. You know, it's a college outreach series, obviously, and we're we're speaking about that, that stuff in that context. But really, for any of us, we may want to anticipate this kind of seasonal change in our faith and these challenges that will come and make us have doubts and that kind of thing. Um, so if you're out of college already, just pretend that today is your high school graduation and you're looking 18 months from now at being not, you know, out of, the, out of faith. Um, so what I started to say, though, is that depending on what your faith looks like now or looked like a year ago, that faith kind of curling up into a ball and withering away, it might not be that big a loss. Depends. Depends. And certainly, the, uh, the types of life events that happen to us and the, the ebb and flow of our kind of spiritual walk, if you will, um, brings us all to, that, to, to these crisis points once in a while. And one of the things um, that I read this week when preparing for this message was a, a quotation from Tony Jones, who was a youth worker and uh, is a, an author and speaker, and I'm really fond of his stuff. And in in response to that statistic that I mentioned to you a minute ago, he said that 
to start to question all of the things you held as absolutely true in fifth or sixth grade doesn't mean you are turning your back on Jesus or that you can no longer understand the authority of Scripture. Because let me tell you, um, if you want to ensure that you're on the wrong side of that 50%, if you want to make positive and certain that your faith becomes a statistic, the best way you, you can do that is to ignore doubts when they arise. And when you start to question yourself and question God, to just push that way, way down and pretend it's not there. You pull that little stunt and you have a better chance of, of being on that, the wrong side of that 50% 18 months from now. And so as I was thinking about this message this week, I, I settled pretty early on uh, on the fact that I was going to creep you out with the uh, arachnophobia-style um, illustration. And I was thinking about the spider molting thing, and a, a passage of Scripture, one of my favorites, sort of sprung to mind, and um, I thought I'd share it with you uh, as part of our message tonight. And it's not Paul's letter to the arachnids. Um, it's Paul's letter to the Colossians, and instead of talking about molting, which is going to be kind of my central motif, he, he uses a metaphor of clothing, and clothing, you know, old clothes off, new clothes on. And so I'd like to ask you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, uh, and if you need a Bible, there are hardcover red Bibles under your chair, same translation that I'm reading. And uh, if you grab one of those, you have the luxury of just turning to page 958, 958. Um, if you're looking in your own Bible, you're on your own. But I will point out that this is one of the shorter letters of Paul. And if you didn't know, Paul's letters are arranged in the New Testament from longest to shortest. And so, as you can see from where my finger is, it's kind of toward the back. Colossians 3, um, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 12. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices, and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, and uh, I will throw in there male and female because Paul does in Galatians when he does a similar list, Um, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And Paul goes on there to talk about uh, some other specific guidelines for Christian living, but we'll stop and leave it there for now. Um, I think it's fairly clear, reading that passage, that Paul is talking to people who have recently made a first-time commitment to the Christian faith. And so they have, like, they have cast off their old self... Uh, they've stripped off that old garment, so to speak, and they've put on the new cloak of Christ, if you will, and they're walking in faith, wearing this new clothing is is the metaphor that he uses. But I'd like to uh, suggest to you that we might want to extend that metaphor to include those of us who've been following Jesus for some time now um, and and say to you that really uh, one of the things that happens when we follow Jesus for a long time is uh, we start to outgrow the original kind of Christian garment that we put on, if you will. Our our Christian muscles get so big that we want to burst out of that old shirt. Um, And so for us, it may be a kind of continual process of 
of um, putting on new clothes, if you will. And um, it occurred to me when I started to think about that, that when you are in those periods of transition, it's pretty easy to feel naked and vulnerable, isn't it? When you are learning that what, what was true or seemed true doesn't quite ring as true anymore and you need to find a new context for, for that little part of your faith or that understanding of the world in light of your faith, you can feel a little bit at risk, can't you? And that's also true for the spider when she's molting. Now, when she climbed up into that little niche in my porch for two or three days, she was highly vulnerable. As secluded as she could be, as safe as she could be, but really at any time a gust of wind could have blown her away because she was not moving at all. At any time a predator, a bird or something could have flown down under my porch, plucked her up and made a meal out of her. The circle of life. She was highly vulnerable during that time, and yet the alternative to not molting would have been for her to kind of implode because the the body that was growing inside was no longer contained by the exoskeleton that she was in, right? Am I making sense here? And so really that period of vulnerability, of nakedness, if you will, to go back and forth between my metaphor and Paul's, is a requirement of coming out stronger and better in our faith. The other thing that that struck me is that while she's up there molting, she's basically useless as a spider. She's not spinning any webs. She's not catching any flies. She's not laying eggs. She's not doing any spidery things except molting. Those little ugly green garbage flies... Their population like tripled for those two days because <laughs> she wasn't doing her job. She was a useless spider. And that's true for us too. When we're going through those periods of transition, we may feel spiritually useless, like we're no good to anybody, no good to ourselves, no good to our friends, no good to God. But yet again, without that period of transition, we may never reach our potential. See, I think one of the keys to making this work for us is to know in advance that we are going to hit these walls, we're going to encounter these challenges, we're going to have these doubts that make us wonder if our faith ought to just curl up and die, if there's anything worth hanging on to at all. I came through one of these times just a year or two ago myself. And if you know ahead of time that you are just going to hit those walls, it's a little bit easier to kind of prepare yourself for that. Uh, And it's not so disorienting when it happens. And you also ought to know that, that really if your faith can't stand up to a little push and tug, that it's probably not all that strong to begin with. You know, if, and your faith needs to be sturdy and robust and ready for this kind of thing. Um, your faith needs to get bigger and stronger, just like Charlotte the spider did. 
And so while I was imagining what I could say to you, what advice I could give you to help you become a bigger, stronger spider Christian, <laughs> I, started, I started kind of brainstorming these ideas, and I thought, what could I tell them? I could, well, I could tell them to pray more. I could tell them to hunker down into their devos, really work those devotions hard, gang. I could tell you if you're a college student, maybe you should just... Maybe just don't take freshman biology, see if you can take something else so you don't ever have to have that argument with your naturalist professor about creation and evolution. Just don't even go there, man. Or maybe I should say, don't take that philosophy of religion class because it would be better if your Christian philosophy were not infiltrated by Marxism or postmodernism or whatever it might be. Maybe I should have told you, I thought, I could say, you need to find and join the campus group that most closely resembles your youth group experience so that you can just have a seamless transition through college. Did somebody boo that? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I know it's the 5 p.m. service, but please, no booing. (laughs) The thing about all those suggestions is that, in some respect, they're kind of more of the same, and they keep you on this path that may not be bad, may not be good, but certainly does not have anything kind of, wow, that's great about it, because the statistics show that really there isn't anything all that wow that great about it, because it's about half successful at getting through the sophomore year uh, of SUNY Brockport or whatever it might be. And then it hit me, uh, as I was thinking through this, there actually is a set of ideals that I am quite familiar with, might say I'm an expert on these, um, that might be, for you, little safe places, little niches in the porch where you can go to molt, spiritually speaking, and where you can kind of harbor yourself in preparation for the challenges and doubts that you know you're going to encounter. Whether you're a college freshman or you're really old, like, you know, 45 or something. You know, places you can... Oh, what? (laughs) I'm sorry, Larry. (laughs) Larry uh, Larry Sherman, our director of church planting in the conference, everybody, yay. He's 46. He's barely over that threshold. (laughs) So... There is a set of ideals that might be of some use to you, and, and the reason I say I might be an expert in them is because they happen to be the five values of our church, the five values on which we founded our community of faith. And uh, you'll, I hope that you will indulge me in this little exercise. I promise you I don't mean this as a, as a commercial for Artisan Church if you're visiting. This is not my effort to get you to, to stay around forever or anything like that. I'd love it if you did. But we picked these values because we think that they're central to the Christian life. Um, and they really express who we want to be. But they also are very challenging to us, and I think that they might be challenging to you as well. And they might provide the kind of um, preparation you, you need in, uh, before you hit that wall. So let me take you through these five values, one at a time, fairly quickly. And uh, as I list them on the screen, I'm, I've also listed some of the, the Scripture passages that we use to support the ideas. I'm not going to read any of those passages to you. We just don't have time to go through them. There'd be like 40 of them or something. Um, but if you are interested particularly in one of these, these values, you might jot down those scripture verses and 
Uh, if you need me to, to fire the slide again for you at the end, we can do that and you can, you can write them down. But let's just go through them, shall we? The first value is awe. Now, some of you have lived a faith to this point that focuses uh, fairly strongly on God as your pal, right? Um, and certainly Jesus was a friend to sinners. I don't dispute that concept. Uh, and God is close to us. Theologians, theologians call this the imminence of God. And some of you have heard me talk about this dichotomy before. But God's imminence is very real and he's close to us. And he is a friend in that sense. Uh, but theologians balance that concept of God's imminence with another concept of God's transcendence. I think it's important that we do that as well. In other words, that God is transcendent. He's so big, like the Monty Python sketch says, Oh, Lord, you are so very big. Gosh, we're all impressed down here. Um, uh, it's a funny joke, but it, but it actually is a really important Christian truth that God is so very big that we ought to be impressed down here. <laughs> And there are mysteries of the faith, faith that we may never understand and concepts that we are never going to get our little human brains around because God is God and we are not. And so we ought to have the proper reverence and awe for Him. And so if you've kind of been raised more in an imminence type of faith, I'd like to encourage you to explore the transcendence side of faith as well. And that may be something that, that uh, provides you with a different hook to hang your hat on. Um, so awe. The second one is beauty. Some of you have lived a faith up to this point that, that looks a little bit like the Derek Webb lyric. It says, don't teach me about politics and government, just tell me who to vote for. Don't teach me about truth and beauty, just label my music. And we believe that, that God is a creative God. All Christians believe that. All Christians also believe that humans are made in God's image, both men and women made in the image of God. Now, we draw a line between those two beliefs and the, uh, the, the, the kind of landing spot that we get from that. One of them is that we also, because we are made in the image of a creative God, are creative people. And so the, the beauty of artistic expression is actually a highly spiritual activity and engaging with good art is also a highly spiritual activity. And I think sometimes in the church, we have resisted going much beyond the kind of precious moments slash Thomas Kincaid uh, expression of, of religious art. Now, there's nothing wrong with... Well, it's okay if you like precious moments in Thomas Kincaid. <laughs> It's okay if you do. And, and some of you have them on the wall. Yeah, it's another boo. <laughs> Please, no booing. <laughs> what I would like to say to you is that too often Christian art offers easy answers. And one of the great things about art is that it actually raises difficult questions. And good art always does that, even if it has a Christian theme. Uh, and so I would encourage you to engage with good art that raises the difficult questions because, again, avoiding the questions is a recipe for disaster because they will come up on their own and you will be, not, you will be unprepared. 
So the third value is roots. Some of you have lived a faith that uh, emphasizes the past 40 or 50 years of Christian history to the detriment of the 2,000 almost years that came before that, not to mention the thousands of years of Jewish history that really are our roots below the ground as Christian people uh, because Christianity started from within Judaism. Uh, And so here at Artisan, we commit ourselves to being rooted in the faith, not only to following the whole story of Scripture as our primary guide, but also, yes, to the instruction and wisdom of the tradition of Christianity that that is available to us to help interpret those Scriptures. Uh, And so some of us, myself included, were raised in places where, you know, Billy Graham was the, the furthest back anybody went when they were quoting somebody. If you hang around here very long, you're going to probably hear from Irenaeus or um, uh, uh, those other guys, um, blanking, Cappadocian fathers, Gregory of Nyssa, uh, Gregory of Nazianzus. You will hear that stuff expressed here, and it's been really uh, enriching to my spiritual life to listen to that witness of the entire history of Christianity. And, and so if you haven't done that, I would encourage you to avail yourself of that. Uh, never, ever has it been easier than it is now with, with all of that stuff online. Uh, and you can find those, those old dead guys and gals really easily. And they will be guides and, and companions to you on your journey of faith. Uh, fourth value is community. Some of you have been raised in a faith that tries to live on a desert island. It's the ever-popular, me and my Bible under a tree, that's all I need. Jesus and I can figure it out together. And I reject that. John Wesley famously said, and I think he was absolutely right, no one can be a Christian alone. And so community obviously can take lots of different forms, small groups, big groups, churches, parachurch organizations, clubs. It may be all kinds of different things. But I would encourage you to engage as intimately as you possibly can with the other believers that you know and enter into true community with them. And how do you know when you are approaching true community? You will, you will start to annoy each other. You will start to get on each other's nerves. Think about this. If you're in a, in a long-term relationship or if you're married, do you ever speak to anybody as rudely and sharply and bitterly as you speak to your spouse? I don't. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry to my wife, but I don't speak to anybody the way I speak to her. And I'm not proud to say it. Why is that? Well, in one sense, it's because we're all jerks. Um, but in another sense, it's because there's nobody you trust more with the worst part of yourself than your spouse or your long-term relationship. I talked that way to anybody else. They'd never want to be around me again. Thankfully, Tracy, for some reason, keeps coming back. <laughs> um, and so when you start to get closer to somebody, they're going to start to annoy you. And guess what? You're going to start to annoy them too. You can work through those things, but just know and celebrate it's a sign of, a sign of deeper community taking place in your life together. So... I said that this morning, and Jason said to me in the hallway, great job setting it up so that anytime anybody's annoyed, we can just tell them it's just good community. (laughs) 
So, yeah, there you have it. And the fifth one is justice. And boy, is this a hard one. Some of us have been raised and continue to live a faith that looks just like what Dallas Willard calls the gospel of sin management. All I got to do is get my sins forgiven so I can go to heaven. And if I get that straightened out, my next and only task is to get as many of my friends' sins forgiven so that I can see them in heaven too. And yes, absolutely, the gospel is about confession and the forgiveness of sins by the grace of Jesus Christ. Don't let me hear you, don't hear me saying anything different. But the gospel is way more than that. The good news, the message, gospel just means message, we sometimes call it the good news, extends beyond that. And you notice that the list of scripture verses on this one is three lines, most of the other ones were two. That's because scripture is like overflowing with these annoying verses about how you have to care for the poor and the oppressed and the orphans and the widows, and you have to do it. Believe me, guys, if we could have left this one off the list, it would have been a lot more convenient to do so. But that would be completely unbiblical and unchristian. It's just you cannot... Old Testament, New Testament, crazy prophets, Jesus, they all say it. And there's no getting away from it. And so one of the things that might cause your faith to die is this inward posture. You know, kind of like staying in that molting pattern forever. Just crusting over and not looking around at all. And your faith will slowly die if you just navel-gaze your life away. And in a very real sense, it's the very act of looking up and looking out and looking around and caring for the world and the people in it that God has made and God loves that begins to create spiritual rejuvenation in our hearts. So, awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice. These are our five values here at Artisan. And uh, once again, I don't intend this to be a commercial for our church. We chose these values because we think they matter to every Christian. And I certainly don't mean this to be um, a spiritual get-rich-quick scheme. You know, do these five simple steps and you will have spiritual peace. I can't promise you that either. All I can hope is that as you mature and anticipate the challenges that you will face in your faith, those times when you are going to curl up in the niche in the porch and you're not sure if you're coming out again, that you might have some place to go, some new challenge in faith, some different angle at Christianity and at knowing God and serving Jesus that you can go to that would provide you with some shelter and with a way to to burst out um, stronger and better at catching flies or or whatever. (laughs) Let's pray together. Gracious God, we uh, confess to you that that it's by your grace that we are able to hang on. And it's your spirit kind of calling to us that drew us to you 
and, and continues to draw us to you throughout our lives. Um, and we're grateful for that. And we ask that uh, you would not let us go, Lord Jesus, that um, as we approach those, those transition times, those sophomore year Christmas breaks where everything seems to fall apart and nothing makes sense anymore, hang on tight to us. Uh, and we ask that, that uh, by your grace, these five values that are simple but certainly not easy might be safe places for us to go, to reconstruct, to rebuild, and to come out stronger servants of you um, and lovers of your people uh, and subjects of your kingdom. We pray all this in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Right now, we're going to listen to a recording of an MP3, and I'd like you to make this kind of a, a responsive meditation to the stuff that I've, heard, I've said and the other things that you've heard tonight. Um, give it a listen. I, I just want to caution anybody who may be here with kids. Uh, this is our 5 p.m. M for Mature service, and this song does contain a word that you might not use around your dinner table. Uh, and so make appropriate adjustments uh, as needed for that. Um, But listen to this song and, and meditate together.
Just around the corner Did you think to try and wonder Where you're working on something new If there's an order In all of this disorder Is it like a tape recorder Normally, this would be what we do at the end of each service. We shut it down. And we debated back and forth whether or not we should shut this whole thing down, the service, and leave you feeling very awkward. How many people feel awkward right now? All right. Some people. Good. I do too. We also thought it may be valuable to strip away what we just did and talk about, have you guys talk about, share stories, interact with each other about what it, what you really are losing when you lose your faith. How many, how many people are here for the, for the first time? Oh, good. How many people are used to the way artisan does things? Did we do anything the way that Artisan usually does, does things? Scott was moderately funny. Music selection was different. What did it sound most like? A little more Christian contemporary. When was the last, song, last time, Avila, you sang, um, Here I Am to Worship? 
church you grew up in? High school. (laughs) Ken sang it this morning. Well, you sang it this evening, too. Um, so, so when, when Scott said that a large percentage of people in the Christmas of their sophomore year lose their faith, what are they losing? So, so that 18 months into college, when, when college students are losing their faith, one thing they may be losing is the love, the nature of God. Is that... Let me, let me pass the mic to Paul. Yep. I was going to say, um, in the case of my daughter, right about that time, what she was losing was really the faith of her parents.
This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.